Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Warden. My guest today is Helena Variara from Tuscany. Tell us the name of your estate and whereabouts in Tuscany are you? How did you get there? Okay, our estate is uh, named Columbaia and it's in, uh, located in Mensanello, Colle di Valdelsa, Siena. It's a very tiny, tiny... In Siena province. So in which um, denomination are you? Are you in the Chianti Classico region? Uh, no, we are in the Colle Senesi, effectively, but we we are not anymore under the label of Chianti, you know. We, we just declass uh, our, our wine to EGT. It's a choice. It's a political choice. Yeah. So the history of the state is your husband, Dante, it comes through his mother's side of the family. And historically, it was a very well-known, the family business was very, very well-known. Can you just give us a little bit, a bit about the history? Yes, the history is come from uh, the, the grandfather of Dante, that was called Dante too, <laughs> that was in Milano. And he had a, a, a big, uh, big um, house producing wine in the south of Italy, in different areas, and um, also selling all around uh, Italy, mainly in Milano. So it was a big, big uh, producer, I can say, more industrial vision. But it was at the beginning of the century, so it was very big. And he makes good money, I think, with this. And after this, uh, um, his son, that is Piero, so the father of Dante, Dante now, bought this little property after he sold all the property of the grandfather because... uh, the, after the war, all the market changed and there was a kind of little abandoned areas and so on, especially in the south. So they sell everything and, and they bought this little property in Tuscany in the 70s, long time abandoned. And they rebuilt the vanya that was already here in the 17th century. And they just maintained the tradition to make some wine, some little wine for the friends. And the rest was all sell to the big seller. So father, the father of Dante was a journalist, so was very busy, and he, he just do this like a hobby. Okay, uh, we come in two thousand three, and we we do this full time. So we decided to to do this in a full time activity. But was um, when the, they bought the farm in nineteen seventy four was was Dante um, living there immediately, or when did he arrive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was living here and grown, grow here. I mean, he lived in Milano when he was 10, I think. And he, he come here to live and he makes school here. So he makes some, some part of his life was here. And then at, at, at 20, he leave the, the country life for going back to Milano uh, to have a city life. And, and there where we met effectively 27 years ago. And we worked together also in Milano. Uh, and then we decided to come back here in 2003. Oh, so you met in the north, did you, both of you? Yes, yes, yes. We met, we met in the north and we were working in a TV business. So I was more on, on the side of production contract and every, all these kind of procedures. And Dante was more camera and director uh, um, activities. So we work together. We do a lot of works in in Rai and other kind of uh, TV business. 
And then in 2003, we decided to come here and to take care of the farm because the father was old and just want to sell everything. And so we decided to come in and to take care. Okay. So from TV to going from TV studios to hot Tuscan conditions with an abandoned uh, building and vineyard is, is quite a leap, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's a jump. It was a jump in the dark, effectively. We were totally unprepared, I can say now, with the... Uh, totally unprepared, but we arrive here and uh, we we have some kind of vision about uh, agriculture. Of course, uh, the vineyard was already organic from the 90s. Uh, we had already kind of life, you know, in the city, bicycle, organic, Steiner School. So we had already a lot of information. Dante also made in the 80s a nice uh, five days, a one week course of uh, biodynamic agriculture in the north of Italy, Le Cascine Orsine, that was famous place where, where you do courses of biodynamic agriculture. But at that time was even not, you know, thinking to, to come back to the country life. But anyway, when we arrived here, we, we, we just jump. I mean, we, everything was in place. So it was very easy in some sense. We have just to, to work on it. And we decided to to go in uh, full, you know, and and we use biodynamic to learn through through the rhythm, through how the plants function, and so on. So through biodynamic, we have been also transformed, and we fall in love with the vineyard first, and then we were, I can say now, between the first in Tuscany, especially to decide also to vinify the, the most pure as possible without an intervention. Because in our naive vision, we, we, we had no idea how, how complicated and how full of additives is the wine producing. So we were like astonished by this. But we decided to, to go further, you know. We say, okay, we, we work closely to the plant. We respect everything. Why change this in the cellar? So... We started looking for, and we had the chance also to have some French friend that introduced us to the natural wine world that in Italy at that moment was really inexistent. Did your neighbors think, hang on, we've got these, it's classic, you know, these rich kids and they like yoga and biodynamics. Was there a lot, a lot of hostility or did people just think that you're a little bit crazy? No, no, th there was some kind of hostility because they, they say that we are too small, uh, natural wine doesn't exist, biodynamic, it's uh, they, nobody knows uh, effectively so much. And everybody was saying, you need a, a, a famous enologist. It's too small, your, your, your winery, to make some money. You know, everybody was against our attitude. They say we are out utopics, uh, ideas. We have utopics ideas. The reality is very different. But uh, we, we go on, you know. We were very um, determined. They see you as a threat that you're you're upsetting their orthodoxy. That of um, you know we've, we're in Tuscany. I mean, generalise, but Tuscany is quite traditional. This is how we do things. Not like the way you're doing it. Why don't you go back to Milan? Exactly, exactly. Like we were like totally out from from the normal. But we we resist because we, we have some reference that uh, give us courage. You know. When you met some French winemaker like us that work the land, that do the things, you know, not like many Tuscany here, very rich with all people working for them, you know, they even don't know what's happening in the cellar, you know. 
we we know exactly so and and we want to do like this so the inspiration from the french winemaker was very strong for us and help us to to resist you know to the pressure who were the winemakers that were, were helping you or speak you speaking with but uh, of course I, I can mention many french that has been inspirational for us but one the first was marcel lapierre that unfortunately we lost but he was one of the first that gave us the courage to go on. And, and also, and, and he was one of the big, you know, of the movement of natural wine. And then also we met uh, some, some friends from Loire. Uh, but, but there are many, you know, that we, we get inf- information in some sense and courage from them to go on. So how, tell me a little bit about the vineyard. Um, how big is it? What have you got planted, soil type, that kind of thing? So... We have 3.9 hectares, and um, when we arrived, we have especially the, the old vanya that now is 55, that it's typical Chianti uh, mix of grapes. So we have Sangiovese mainly, 80%, then Colorino, Malvasianera, and Canaiolo. And the young vanya that we plant in 2005 is also typical grapes of Tuscany, Sangiovese, and Colorino. But uh, the father of Dante insisted to put some few row of Cabernet Sauvignon, okay? We discussed about that, but okay, he was the boss at that time, so we decided, okay, to consent to this uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, we never vinify uh, the Cabernet Sauvignon. I mean, we always separate and vinify for him. And... We vinify the young vineyard and the old vineyard separately. So it's a parcel wine, I can say. This because we just realized that the new clones of Sangiovese, we have more than five in the young vineyard, are completely different from the old Sangiovese from the 70s. In structure, color, uh, way of vinification, and time also of expression, in a sense that the old vineyard need three years to express itself, a uh, long élevage. But contrary, the young vineyard is quite ready soon. It's very purple, crunchy, beautiful Sangiovese. I mean, I, we like very much, but they are very, very different. So at that point, we realized that the old vineyard is quite rare in Tuscany, quite disappeared. And so we are also replanting in the old vineyard uh, where... We have some hole, you know, because some plants are dying. So we replace with the same kind of breed uh, of Sangiovese, trying to keep, you know, the, the original uh, Sangiovese. Yeah, they'll be uh, biotypes, bio won't they? And um, so in terms of the winemaking, are you, is it stainless steel, uh, oak body, cement? What have you got? We, we have concrete tank uh, under the soil, very near to, to the vineyard. So we can arrive every 50 minutes in the harvest, by, of course, by hand. And uh, uh, we, we put the grapes inside the concrete tank, uh, especially the old vineyard. It's all in concrete tank with the submerged cap. Of course, it's destemmed, but uh, it's keep the skin in infusion, okay? And it's fresh also, naturally, so no control temperature. But contrary, the young vineyard and the little bit of white we have we use uh, stainless steel directly. This is because we like the stainless steel. The crunchiness is more evident in the, in the young vineyard. But contrary, the old vineyard passed through the cement, the concrete tank, and then 
stay three years in a big barrel, Oakos Livonia, old one, 26 hectolitres. Okay. In terms of your soil for the Sangiovese, I mean, how, do, how would you describe the tannins um, that you get on Sangiovese on your particular soils? I think, I think we have a good balance between tannin and, uh, and um, characteristic of Sangiovese, transparency, elegance, and deepness. But also we are very soft on touching the Sangiovese because we find that Sangiovese can be immediately uh, extremely tannic if you don't pay attention. So uh, we are very soft in pressing and we use very simple electric soft press, but uh, uh, very soft on pressing and, and, and very, we don't touch too much, you know, we don't take, try to extract too much from our Sangiovese. Uh, and this is why I think we have this elegance and this freshness all the time. So for your um, for your reds, what are, when do they start to um, show? Do, do they need a year in bottle or a couple of years? I think uh, they, uh, we discover with time, because we are still learning, <laughs> that uh, our, our wine are very good in time. I mean, they resist very well. I mean... Uh, but that is our importer that discovered this. I mean, they keep the bottle and then they make us tasting again. So we just tasted recently, in 2008, that it's even so good now than when we sell it, you know. So, so we, we, we discovered too, because uh, also with this myth that wine without sulfites cannot survive, you know, there is kind of strange ideas that in reality is not true at all. And so I find our wine quite uh, they are, we, we bottle when they are ready and uh, we wait uh, six months one year depends from the vintages before starting to to taste with our importers or sommelier or people because we like that the wine is stable you know there in itself like i say with his complete body formed the perfumes formed so bottle is very important also. Are all your wines uh, no added sulfites or, or just um, some of them? No, I think the Vigna Vecchia is the most uh, delicate in this sense. The young vineyard and the white that uh, we make in a long maceration, four months uh, maceration on skin, it's very, they, they went fast. So they are ready in one year. I mean, uh, we bottle and then we can sell us up, I can say. The bottling also is done by gravity with the moon in the right position and everything. Uh, and um, it's quite uh, not so stressing for our wine. So it's more the, the old vanya that needs time to recompose a little bit after bottling and to the affination um, make it more elegant and, and ready to, to enjoy, you know, and to travel too. So, What, what do you see in the future in general for... Um, natural wine, biodynamic wine. I mean, now now we are a little bit fa- on the fashion wave. Apart now with COVID and what everything has happened, everything has been a little bit like you know extended, like pause for a moment. But um, I mean, I'm happy that there are more and more new winemakers on natural wine world. That means that the message, I mean, the the possibility. And also the people have understand the opportunity, not only commercially, that's, that's the bad people do this, but the youngest and the new generation is more and more going near to this way of thinking about wine, you know. 
uh, wine is not indispensable. It's something, it's, it gives a pleasure, is a substance that uh, elevates your spirit, but it's not indispensable. So it's very good that we, we are going through a natural winemaking. Uh, so we pollute a little bit less <laughs> than the other agriculture industry is doing all around. And wine, it's a, it's a big contribute to, to pollution. So I'm very happy that this movement has been, you know, defunded uh, more and more. So it's okay. We are all different, all with his own characteristics. So no problem. I think also being in Tuscany helps because the percentage of um, organic and biodynamic is, is growing quite strongly in some regions. So that's good good for the future. I mean, what do you see for you personally uh, for the future, the estate personally, and then globally? Do you think these, this sort of trend towards organic and biodynamic will continue or will people get bored and find want a new... But, you know, I, I, I think for me, uh, biodynamic, it's the agriculture of the future. Even in this last day, probably you have read also, there has been a big attack against uh, biodynamic. It's considered like, you know druid practice or something like this. There was different articles on the newspaper uh, shooting against the biodynamic agriculture. Um, I think there is always the same discussion. Ah, you make the wine with the moon, with this kind of things. And this makes me a little bit smile because these are knowledge of the past in some sense. Everybody in the past know that have to plant in the right moment, that the moon have its importance in the act you, you have on the land. So make me a little bit smiling about this opposition from, the, I think, from the lobbies, you know, that the biodynamic, it's a druid, the practice, and it's nothing, and so on. But the reality is that uh, when, you, when you practice, you can see the difference, and it's very visible. Even the practice you 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 use seems a little bit like nothing you know because you dynamize and then you spray some little drops and you see bah, this is crazy but then you see the land changing the structure of the land is changing the plants are more happy and you can see so it and this changed your mind you know that that's why so many people now is converting understanding more and more about biodynamic and understanding is possible. You can do more simple, you know. That is also interesting. Biodynamic is giving a message that agriculture is possible in a different way. More quality, less quantity. Look to, to the inner, to the inner things, you know. And also more health for you, agriculture, and for the people around you. So I think this will be more and more uh, defunded. For our point of view, uh, we, we, we maintain little, you know, we want, uh, we want to leave and to do this uh, till we can, you know, because time is crucial. Making wine, you make once a year. So if you make a mistake, you have to wait another year. And then you depend so much from weather, uh, 60%, I think it depends from what's happened on the sky. So you are so, so nothing, you know, in relationship to, to what, what we do in reality. So for, for, for me, from our point of view, we, we will go on with this. We will try to be, you know, the best we can. <laughs> and, and that's it. You know, our relationship are still there. We, we, we built our relationship and uh, they are growing and, and, and consolidate. So 
we are happy like this. I mean, we don't want any more. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It is, it is continuing to grow, and um, even internationally now, with some some of the countries which we won't name that were a little bit anti-organic um, and biodynamic in, in times past. I mean, it is slowly building, and in some areas, really quickly building. I mean, Tuscany's got a huge percentage of organic estates, and um, see, in general, has got high high percentages as well. So. Um, yeah, it's very nice to hear from you. Nothing. Thank you for for calling me. Helena's estate and Dante's estate was one of the first I, I visited as a as a journalist, as um writing about Tuscany, and it was a beautiful day. I remember um, your enthusiasm then has obviously not diminished. <laughs> no, no, not really. No, <laughs> yeah, which is fantastic. And um, just want to say thanks to you for for telling us a little bit about the history of the estate. Sorry, Dante couldn't be with us. Uh, no, sorry, sorry too. He he say hello to you, and we hope to see you here again. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Jen. Just keep up, keep up the good work. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.